welcome to Her Dot Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dot Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter nine, The Spies. hasn't it yeah not since i've seen you but since we've done a podcast yeah it feels like ages mm. it's gotta be like three weeks yeah a lot's happened it has your life has changed drastically since we last recorded moved house this weekend mm. Faye helped it was beautiful i'm really glad you were there because it was it's been one of the most stressful weekends of the last five years basically even no I was gonna say moving it since since moving into the flat <laughs> yeah that was the last day I was I was so stressed I was getting into bed last night and I was like my arms ache why the fuck do my arms ache and I was like oh it's because I was lifting boxes You're lifting my shit around all weekend yeah and <laughs> I have really weak arms anyway so any kind of physical movement of my arms that is out of the ordinary makes my arms ache My butt hurts. (laughs) Honestly, I, yeah, me and my partner and our housemate or our flatmate moved into a new house with her boyfriend as well. So there's four of us in the new house. For three people, we filled two vans. Two vans! You have a lot of stuff. You were like, (laughs) a lot of stuff. You were like, please don't judge me for how much stuff we've got. And you were like, like, are you judging me? I was like, no. You're like, I would never judge. And you were like, oh my God, she's a hoarder. I wasn't judging, but I was laughing because they were just, I didn't know that they were like parts of furniture, but they were just like bits, random planks of wood. And I was like, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) I do actually own quite a few random planks of wood as well. They're useful for making things. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Just put it in the Honestly, I think it's the fact that me and Sarah both work as like creative people. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of have a tendency to hoard craft materials and then you end up with two wardrobes when you do a job like this. You've got clothes that I can wear in public that are nice. And then a whole other wardrobe of like, I've got to do my like five day a week job, nine to five in clothes that are covered in paint and crap Mm -hmm. and varying levels of that for the different types of work you'll be doing at that job. And then like, you just end up with, yeah, too, too much stuff, too much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like boxes of fur. Boxes of resin. I noticed a box of fur. I was uh-huh. like, oh, two, bo- two boxes of fur. They're mine. <laughs> if you ever need faux fur for anything, fake fur, fake fur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at least it's over now. I know you're still unpacking and stuff, Gosh, but, but yeah. well, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, because we're recording it like a couple of weeks in advance. Oh God, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully by then it'll all be done. Done yeah. so. I would very much like to be settled in already. I'm so stressed, Faye. <laughs> What's new with you, Faye? I noticed you sounded a bit different on the intro. Oh my god, I got braces. Yeah. They're so weird in my mouth. Um, <laughs> I got them when, again, when this comes out, it'll be like a month or so. And it's been an ordeal. They feel weird in my mouth. I used to get mouth ulcers all the time and I'd not had any for ages. And then I put my braces in for the first time for people listening. And they're not like the metal braces that go across your teeth. They're like plastic retainers. Like Invisalign, but yeah. not plugging that brand. That's just what... Like, yeah, yeah. It's like how Kleenex applies to all tissues. Y- yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah, like Hoover is all vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
So they like come in and out and you have to take them in and out when you eat and stuff. And they've like rubbed on my gums and they gave me ulcers. And I was like, no, but they feel better now. And also I'm just really bad at taking them out. So like the first time I tried to take them out, it was like a similar thing when I first tried a moon moon cup. I was like, it's just staying in forever. It's not coming out. And it was the same with my braces. Um, I was like, I just can't get them out. But now it's it's pretty easy. But because you can't eat or drink with them in. I'm pretty good on like a normal day. So like a normal work day or whatever. If I'm not doing anything, you're supposed to take them out for like two hours a day while you eat and shit. And I can pretty much keep them in like all day. <laughs> Sorry, it made it sound like you have to take them out when you eat and when you shit. It was two hours <laughs> when a you day. Eat shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, just when you eat and drink. Okay. Um, and I can keep them in for like a decent amount of time. But then if I'm going out, so like on Saturday, I went to see Carly Rae Jepsen and she was amazing. I just took them out for the whole thing because I knew that I was going to like have a drink and eat and stuff. So I'm probably not doing what my dentist wants me to do, but we'll see. You're still probably, I feel like it's like the perfect patient would do this, but we're aware everyone's imperfect. So we give you like, they know you're not going to make two hours, but they know that they can get away with it if you have it out for five hours. Yeah. So they tell you two, so you panic after four. And then, Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping anyway. It's very exciting times in my life. Um, Some achy, achy teeth for Faith. Yeah, achy teeth. They're not too bad. The, the first couple of days I was wearing them, I was like, ah. My teeth are falling out because they make your teeth loose and stuff, and it's weird. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're, it's fine. Uh, 16 weeks, I'll have great teeth, hopefully. Ooh. Another thing that happened in between us recording is that we interviewed Lord Battle. Oh my god, <gasps> yes. So by the time this comes out, you guys will have already heard that interview. And you'll know that he's a lovely man. Yeah. Oh, he was so nice. And we were so, we talk about it a little bit in the intro and outro on that episode, but we were so nervous. It was so funny. Like, we were just sat staring at the mic, like, waiting for Lon to come online, like, it's okay, we can do this, we can do this. Yeah. And he was so nice. He was so nice. And his kids were so screamy. Yeah, they <laughs> but were. But so sweet. Yeah. It's funny because it, like, reminded me of my days when I used to, like, interview bands and stuff. And I never used to be that nervous. I think it's because we were just, like, sat waiting. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, if you're in and out and you do an interview and it's fine because you don't have time to think about what you're about to do, you're just like, this is the time when you're interviewing this person. Be there for that time. Blah, blah, blah. Get it done. But Also, like, I've literally never interviewed anybody in my life, ever. And you did so well. Thank you. You were great. Yay. But, yeah, we were just sat in silence for, like, ten minutes waiting for, like, Lorne to appear. It was simultaneously, we've got to do this. And be personable and, like, have a nice interview and stuff. But then also not fuck up the tech. Because if I yes. don't press record or, like, back it up and we lose it, then we have to attempt to annoy him again and he might not want to talk to us twice. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. Was I think that was the main thing, wasn't it? But, like, it, it was so cute because at the beginning we did say to him, like, oh, it's our first interview. Like, bear with us on the tech stuff because it was, like, a remote interview so he wasn't in the room with us. Um, and he was like, oh, like, if it fails, we'll just do it again. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank Lovely you. Man. <laughs> Thankfully it didn't. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed the interview. We enjoyed interviewing him. And hopefully we'll enjoy interviewing more people in the future. We yes. might have a couple of, couple more surprises booked in. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. There was also a poll that we did on social media <laughs> about Rich. Would you like to talk about it, Rich? Basically, I feel very attacked right now. Um, 
last episode included accusations of me being posh northern by comparison to Faye. I would like to say no. <laughs> that is not the case. I Actually, it was the episode before last. Oh, was it? Yes, oh. it was. But I am very happy that other people think it. <laughs> and not to your detriment, Rach, because you have a great accent, but I'm just happy that other people notice it and it's, it's just it amused me. Yeah, I feel like my accent is maybe, it's a very specific little pocket yeah. of like, Dar- it's like re- right between Dar- like the edge of Derbyshire and the edge of Yorkshire, Yeah, and there's a little pocket called the Hope Valley, and you can tell when you meet someone from the Hope, like if you were to meet one of my friends from back home, you'd be like, they talk exactly like you. Yeah. It's just this odd little accent pocket that I guess it's, I guess it's posh northern. It's not, it's not a Derbyshire accent by any stretch, and it's not, it's not a Sheffield accent or a Manchester accent or any of that, it's just... Where did your mum and dad grow up? Because they don't sound as posh northern as you. My dad grew up in Sheffield, and my mum, in the in yeah, she like literally a mile down the road from okay. where they live now, my grandma's house. Interesting. They don't sound as posh northern as I do. No, they don't. <laughs> Especially your dad, oh. and that makes sense if he's. Yeah, he grew up in Sheffield, but yeah. then he moved. They moved to Castleton quite young. I think they were only like eight or nine when they moved to Castleton. Oh. So he's not like he childhood in Sheffield yeah, yeah. but then he like was out in the valley for his teenage years which is how they met oh my god mum and dad yeah patreon yay, yay. so patreon launched a while back now mm-hmm. and this is the first episode where it's been launched for a while and we've had like people pledging stuff because in the last episode Although it had been out for you guys for a while, we'd only just launched it by the time that we were recording it. This is the first time recording and Patreon being a thing yes. are lining up. Yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, thank you to everyone that's pledged so oh far. Oh my gosh. We were so we were just we were like, okay, let's launch it and just might get like a couple of people. It's I, it doesn't matter, like no pressure, no pressure. Yeah, yeah. And then like straight away so many people. So honestly, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. We are truly. we were blown away. We they were. kept messaging me, being like, Oh my god. Yeah, like Rich said, we kind of just launched it to have it, like, so that when we were a bit further down the line, it was there just to get it all set up. And then they thought, oh, well, we may as well, like, push it out now and let people know it's there. But we weren't really banking on anyone pledging. Are there people that are this? Are there people on the headphones attached to this mic? Like, oh my God. Oh, but, oh God. But yes, thank you. So, one of the rewards for being a witch or an alethiometrist, which are the $10 and $20 levels or that you get a shout out right here on the podcast so this is it this is our very first ever official patreon shout out moment very official omg guys you're being shouted out listen up here's a shout out coming to your ears right now if you pledge 10 or 20 dollars oh my god first melissa hi melissa hi thank you for pledging we love you thank you so much next Laura, yeah. Laura, we love you. Thank you so much. Oh God, we do. And then last but not least, by no means least, exactly. Footprints. Thanks so much, Footprints. Thank I'll you. have your drawing to you shortly. Yeah. How exciting. Woo. Yay. <laughs> Honestly, thanks so much. And if you would like to pledge, we are at patreon.com forward slash HDM pod. Hey, Faye. Hey. What would your demon have been this week? I 
I was thinking about this because throughout January, I just did everything under the sun and wore myself out. So like, especially for the last week, I've like taken the time to chill. So I watched all of the new Sabrina. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's good. And I watched some of the bits and bobs. I like read my book. One night I went to, got in bed at like 8pm. Great. So I've given myself some time off. So I was trying to think what would be like my perfect little demon companion in that like chill time that I've given myself. And I wanted it to be a dog. So I googled like the most chill dog. Amazing. And apparently King Charles Spaniels are pretty chill. Oh. I think my demon would be a little ginger. Ginger and white King Charles Spaniel. Oh, that's cute. Lay with me on my bed while I was watching Sabrina. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. What would yours be? Oh, God. <laughs> yours is going to be something. I'm like, oh, my God, I was so chill. And you're going to be like, I didn't sit down once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I I don't even know. Basically, January kicked my ass. I just I hate January. It's a shit month. We it could is. do without it. Mm-hmm. I'll start a petition. And as like a part, final parting gift, January gave me a disgusting cold. And I became a snot monster for a week. At which point my demon would have been one of those like horrible little cuckoo bugs that creates like a spit thing around it. Yeah, that was how I felt. I felt like a bug that week. But then I finally kicked my cold and suddenly I had to like frantically pack boxes around myself and move my life. At which point I wished that I could just take my house with me and therefore I think my demon should have been a little hermit crab. Yeah, oh that's such a good one. Yeah, it's either a hermit crab, which would have been like, it's very like symbolic of how my life has been for the weekend, Mm -hmm. or a more useful demon would have been like a pack horse or a mule or an ass. Like, and then I could have literally loaded it up and been like, help me move my life. That's true. <laughs> One of those. I don't know. I can't decide. I can't do, de- I'm in perpetual brain fog. What? So I can't do decisions. <laughs> Last chapter, Lyra got comfortable in the fence and found some kids to hang around with. John Farr gathered money and men to go north and told Lyra that she couldn't go with them. He also went off on one about his hammer and we didn't like it. We fucking did not like that at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) And Lyra made progress with the alethiometer. In this chapter, Lyra and Father Corum form a beautiful father-daughter relationship which we are so here for. So here for. Lyra predicts a spy's death using the alethiometer, which leads John Farr to the decision to take her north after all. And Mrs. Coulter sends some beetle-like spy devices to find Lyra. Ooh. Ooh. Well, we start with Lyra plotting to sneak on the journey north. Yeah, she's trying to work out if she can stow away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she'd heard lots of stories about these big ships and she knew that there'd be loads of places to hide on there but she has loads of other worries like what she ends up on the wrong ship yeah i thought that was cute she was like but i don't know which ship it is and i could accidentally end up in high brazil yeah yeah like that would be a fun adventure too lyra yeah it would also is high what is high brazil is it just brazil i'm assuming it's just brazil or like the the northern northern reaches of brazil i guess the highest bit of brazil yeah I, it's just you know how he likes to like take a place name and mix it up a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah 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 so she hung around with the people preparing the expedition um including adam stefanski who i assume is the head of that family that we because 
that's the family that the Costas are a part of, right? Yeah, but also, sorry, I'll take you back. Because, yeah, it's where she's thinking about places to stow away on a big ship, but she decides there's nowhere she can stow away on a narrow boat because they have to take the barges to the main port before they can get on the big ship. And at the moment, she's still in the fens. Yeah. And she can't work out where she could hide on a narrow boat. It's interesting saying that because she basically spends all her time hiding, hiding on, on a narrow, narrow boat. boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is true. <laughs> like, she literally knows all the best hiding. But then mm. also, so does everyone else. Yeah. They'd so they would find, find her. her. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so instead she, like, tails people around trying to make herself sound as useful as possible. Mm-hmm. I think in the hopes that someone would be like, gosh, that girl knows her charts yeah. and compasses and stuff let's take her along (laughs) yeah so she's yeah like you said she's hanging around she's asking somebody called roger van poppel good name name. good strong name yeah about their supplies and asking him if they did you remember the snow goggles yeah (laughs) and he's like yes child i did she really wants to help benjamin de reuter reuter De Reuter? De Reuter? They say De Reuter on the oh, audio book. It's very helpful for yeah, right? this. <laughs> okay, so Benjamin De Reuter, he's a spy, uh, but then he's already like disappeared in the middle of the night off onto a job anyway. As spies are wont to do. So she attached herself to Father Coram instead. And I know we'll get like more into it, but I really loved this chapter for those two and how he treats her and like how are their relationship and it's so cute. It's very sweet, yeah. And she tells him that she thinks it's best that she helps him because she knows more about the gobblers because she was nearly one of them. Yeah, I really like the way that she just chats her chat and like is still like a bossy, precocious little kid and Father Coram's just like down for it. And he's got a lot of time for her. Yeah. And that's what I like is like her just like waxing lyrical about being a gobbler and her time with Mrs. Coulter. And, like, he's just fine with listening. Yeah. and the, so nice. Yeah, and there's the nice quote. It says, He took pity on the fierce, desperate little girl and didn't send her away. Instead, he talked to her and listened to her memories of Oxford and of Mrs. Coulter and watched as she read the alethiometer. Fierce and desperate is such a, like... It's a good little description, I think. Yeah. For ha- very much for, like, what situation Lyra's in at the moment. Yeah. I, I like that as a description for her. Because it's quite a strong descriptor and then quite a weak descriptor, but yeah. they like work together really well. Yeah, and I think because she has, in the last couple of chapters, found out so much about her life. And she's like a 12-year-old girl trying to process all of this stuff so you can see how she would be desperate, but fierce as well. Mm. I feel like she's desperate for... She's desperate to go north... But I think, like, deeper than that, she's desperate for some kind of human connection to somebody. Oh, God, you're so deep. I am deep. <laughs> All right. I did English literature at A-level. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is better than I did. <laughs> but, yeah, because um, she hasn't really had that properly. No. Um, she had it with Roger, and he's gone. She's got it with Mark Oster. Maybe as well to have it with somebody that's actually going on the journey north. Mm-hmm. maybe she wants that with Father Coram so that and she can kind of live vicariously through him he is I feel like he because he's this elderly and considered very respected wise man he almost has like a similar level of seat in the terms of like power structures mm-hmm. as like one of the higher scholars or the master at Jordan but he has the emotional intelligence 
to actually show her the affection that she probably wanted from the scholars at Jordan. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that's maybe why that she's like latched onto him because yeah. she recognizes that like power within him and his stance. That's a good shout, Rich. Oh, and and you, Faye. <laughs> oh my God, thank you. <laughs> God, we're so complimentary in this episode. <laughs> god she's reading the alethiometer with Corum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and she asked him about the book with the symbols in it um and he says it's in heidelberg which is i had to google because i'm sure geography and i did guess germany yeah Yay. i did think i was like it's that in germany and i was like i better check because my geography is shocking it's mm-hmm. a town in germany and that it's the only one that he's seen and then she says that she bets bets that there's one in bodley's library in oxford and I had a little Google of this library. And I think it's the Bodleian Library. Uh, it's the main research library in mm. Oxford. You're nodding at me, so I think I'm yes. right. The, yeah, Bodleian Library sounds very familiar. Yeah. Or it might be Bodleian. I might have not pronounced it right, yeah. yeah. And um, It's Southerners that are saying it. They're probably going to go for the O yeah. rather than the O. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and it's one of the oldest libraries in Europe, apparently. Um, and the head of the library is known as... Bodley's Librarian or Birdley's Librarian, which is probably why they've just called it Budley's Library in this, rather than saying the Birdleyan yeah, Library. Yeah, just for that like little difference thing. Yeah. I like it. Me too. And then there's a really nice quote about Father Coram's demon. Yes. Mm. Would you like to read this one, Rich? I can if you like. <laughs> she could hardly take her eyes off Father Coram's demon, who was the most beautiful demon she'd ever seen. When Pantaleman was a cat, he was lean and ragged and harsh, but Sophonax, for that was her name, was golden-eyed and elegant beyond measure, fully twice as large as a real cat and richly furred. When the sunlight touched her, it lit up more shades of tawny brown leaf, hazel corn, gold autumn mahogany than, <laughs> than Lyra could name. She longed to touch that fur to rub her cheeks against it, but of course she never did, for it was the grossest breach of etiquette imaginable to touch another person's demon. I'm going to stop there because I want to talk about the description of the cat and then I want to talk about demon etiquette. Yeah. That cat. I want that cat. I really love the idea that when Pan tries to turn into a cat that might look like Sofanax, he looks like a scrappy little street cat because that's what Lyra's like as a person. She's like a scrappy little stray. Yeah. And then Vardacorum, despite him being like old and like doddery, his cat is like massive and plush and beautiful and it's like kind of shows like the strength and power he probably had as a younger man yeah and, and like the confidence that he has and yeah like, and i think even yeah. just how that's maybe what he is on the inside yeah so i think it does say it a little bit later on in the chapter that like he's like weaker now that he's older but his demon is still strong and i really liked that description because It kind of sounds like it's getting at your demon can represent... Your soul. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, he's a very intelligent, confident man. And that's what his demon's representing for him. Yeah. Also, like, your demon, it's a magical concept of a thing. It can change shape and it settles and all this stuff. Why would your demon age with you? Like, why would it have to? If it's just, like, a part of your, like, being that lives on the outside, like you're still young at heart. Because I think a lot of people underestimate the elderly as well. Yeah, And kind absolutely. of assume that they're frail mm-hmm. or not as intelligent. 
you start to slow down a bit mm. in terms of like physical speed. <laughs> Sometimes your brain can't pick out the information you want as fast as you want it to when you reach a certain age, but that doesn't mean that you're not really intelligent, really yeah. interesting, really like thoughtful and all this stuff. And people really like forget and talk down to the elderly a lot. Mm. And I think maybe if, if in our reality, you had a demon there that was like, plush and beautiful and strong and confident as when you were like 25 and looking how you actually feel on the inside yeah people wouldn't do that as much yeah yeah i completely agree and do you think as well so uh father karam's demon obviously settled as this like amazing cat who kind of represents him in his best light maybe when he was younger do you think that it's the same on the inside for the demon as well so like say if you were lyra and pan settled would he settle with the best aspects of Lyra at that time if that makes sense depending on oh I don't know I guess because it, it depends on your relationship with your demon yeah, as well I exactly. think because I imagine because they are also a separate being with like although they're a part of the human they still have their own consciousness and their own thoughts otherwise how would they be able to interact with the yeah. person so it's interesting to think about what aspects of the person does a demon have when it settles and do yeah. they change because obviously the demon's form settles but then does that mean that they're i suppose like if you settle when you're a teenager does your demon look like a teenage demon or settle as a teenage demon forever yeah and does it stick not. with that mindset that you had as a teenager when it settled or does its mind I and intelligence continue to grow in theory surely they would grow mentally in the same way that you do but they've settled i wonder, I wonder if demons age do demons age our new question because if you look at Coram and Sofanax, maybe mm-hmm. they don't. Or maybe they age depending on how you feel and how your soul feels. Yeah. So we learn here that it is the grossest, as you just said, it's the grossest breach of etiquette to touch someone else's demon. Yes. I really like the way that they describe it. So I'm going to just read the next bit. She longed to touch that fur to rub her cheeks against it. But of course she never did, for it was the grossest breach of etiquette imaginable to touch another person's demon. Demons might touch each other. Of course, or fight. But the prohibition against human-demon contact went so deep that even in battle, no warrior would touch an enemy demon. It was utterly forbidden. Lyra couldn't remember having been told that. She just knew it as instinctively as she knew that nausea felt bad and comfort good. Although she admired the fur of Sofanax and even speculated on what it might feel like, she never made the slightest move to touch her and never would. When I was reading it, I was trying to compare it to something in our world that is so horrendously forbidden. But it kind of sounds like it's never really it happened before that. I mean, it will have happened. But like, if you think about it, like some kind of horrible violating act like murder or any other list of things that you can think of that would be horrendous in our world. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, it's happened a hundred times. Exactly. Billion times. And it, it, well, the, yeah. where it says that it wouldn't even happen, happen in battle. When, like, that's when some of the worst shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't even think it's really comparable to mm. anything that we have because there's the most horrific acts that humans can do that still happen frequently. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a dark place to try and send yourself if you're trying to think what our comparison yeah. is of like the worst violation you could possibly think I of. I stopped that pretty quickly after to start listening to it. I was like, mm, especially no. as people that listen to true crime podcasts, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that you've ended up listening to that you know that has physically happened in the world that you wouldn't even imagine, mm. which is horrible. But then the other side yeah. of this is 
although Lyra knows that it's wrong, is she coming at it from a naiver sense of the world and just doesn't know things that are happening in the world? So if you think about when you were younger, and we were talking about this before a couple of episodes ago, about how Lyra, at the minute, as a child, seems to have a very black and white, this is good, this is bad. Mm. And maybe doesn't see the nuance. So if you think about when you were a kid, you would know that these things exist, these like horrible atrocities in the world, but you wouldn't necessarily know if if or when they're actually happening. You'd just be like, oh, that's, that's really, really bad and nobody does that ever because it's really bad. Yeah. So I would imagine that this stuff does happen. She's but... not quite able to fully fathom it, is yeah. she really? Yeah. She says it's the great taboo. I wonder if it's a criminal offence in society, ah. like whether there's like... If Pullman has the, has canonized it anywhere, I don't, I haven't found anything. But if it's a criminal offense to do it, because that would be really interesting. If it's like, mm. oh, and in his head, Pullman's written a bunch of court cases or something. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. no, that is interesting. Like, I'd not thought about that. Like, is it a crime? Yeah, or is it just a taboo? Yeah, this is the next bit, isn't it? Where it says that uh, Sophonax was healthy and sleek and Fordacorum was ravaged and weak. And also it rhymes and I've only just realised that. Oh, <laughs> Well, it cute. says, well, it, it, in the, it says Sophonax was as sleek and healthy and beautiful as Fordacorum was ravaged and weak. But the way that I wrote my notes, I made it rhyme. Sleek and weak. Which we, is what we just talked about. And oh, then we find out that he can't walk without his sticks. Oh, and that he's always it. trembling. And I think Lyra wonders whether that was something that has just happened as he has aged or if it's something that like if there was an event or Mm. something that caused that to happen bless his little heart it says that lyra loves him for being sharp and powerful um but she also loves him for the firm firm way that he directs her which i kind of like and i think is like interesting that she likes that firm direction is it because she grew up in an educational environment like the master, the scholars, and Mrs. Lon- Lonsdale all seemed like firm people with her. Mm. So does she? Is she? Is that what she's used to? Is that what she just like clings onto that because she's she's used to it? Maybe it's either that or it's the polar opposite of like because she was constantly just having to get like wrangled by the odd scholar that didn't really care. Like maybe she didn't have the firm direction. Mm. I don't know. It could yeah, it could go either. It's way. either she's been yearning for it because she's never had it and she didn't realize that she quite enjoyed the structure, or it's familiar. Yeah. Depends what we think her life in Oxford was like. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Mrs. Lonsdale was definitely very firm with her. True. But I agree with you in the sense that the scholars probably weren't... Maybe the master was like 50-50-ish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it could go either way. So they're looking at the Elysiometer and she asks uh, Father Coram what the hourglass means. He asks her to look closer and she sees a skull on top of it and asks if it means death. We learn that time is the first meaning and that death is the second... And he asks her what she's asking, the alethiometer at the time when they're looking at it, and she doesn't really know. And then she's like, oh, she realises that she's been asking about the spy. So mm-hmm. Benjamin de... What did we say his name was? Reuter? De Reuter. De Reuter, yeah. Basically asks why she's pointing the hands at those three symbols. So I think yeah. it's... What is she pointing She's at? chosen the serpent, the crucible, and the beehive. Mm-hmm. And he asks her why. And she explains it, and I'm just going to read it because it's easier. Mm-hmm. Do it. So, because I thought the serpent was cunning, like a spy ought to be, and the crucible could mean like knowledge, what you kind of distill, and the beehive was hard work, like bees are always working hard. So out of the hard work and the cunning comes the knowledge, see? And that's the spy's job. 
and I pointed to them and I thought the question in my mind and the needle stopped at death. She asks Fardacorum if he thinks that it's actually working or not. Yeah, he thinks, he's like, it's working, but we don't know if we're reading it right. Like, what makes you think it's death? And she explains that it stopped on the second go-round. Yeah, no, you're right. She says on the it's she says on the first round it kind of twitches and on the second it stops. There you go. So yeah, that's why she thinks it's the second meaning yeah. and not the first one. Yeah. Which is interesting because we get it just I liked that we're teasing out little bits more information on how the alethiometer works and how you're supposed to read it. Mm-hmm. But it is also working with the storyline because at that moment someone rushes in. Yeah. And says to Fardacorum, you've got to come with us quickly. Jacob Huisman? Huisman's? I don't yeah. know. Where, where, where uh, is his name? Jacob. H-U-I-S-M-A-N. Yeah. Yeah? I don't know. Jacob. Just call him Jacob. Jacob. Jacob's back and he's wounded. He's sore wounded. He sore says wounded. sore wounded. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the spies that was with Benjamin de Reuter. Mm-hmm. And basically he is a, a bleeding, a bleeding inside. Bleeding. And so they rush to where he's being kept but that's quite Lyra's just said I've asked this question about the spies and I think the answer might be death yeah and someone literally rushes in the room and goes you have to come quickly someone's horrendously injured yeah he was one of the spies and you're like oh Oh, shit I think she can read I think she can too um yeah so they go and see uh, Jacob on another boat and I liked this bit because there's a woman there who gives Lyra a bit of a like fucking dirty look yeah uh, but then Father Corum like tells her that Lyra needs to be there and I just really like how how like fully he believes in her and it's yeah. not a big deal to him that she's like a young girl he's just like yeah she needs to be here mm-hmm. and what also, woman with the red flannel apron and the squirrel demon perched on the clock, we see you. <laughs> we do. We do. We Always. enjoy, a, a, yeah, a background, what was it, background artist? We, yeah. What do you, yeah. Think? extras, extras. That's what I'm trying to think. She's like a featured extra if yeah. this was a film. We see you. We don't like your, necessarily like your dirty look to Lyra, but we yeah. see you. Yeah, well, she's obviously like, she, she just worried. She a worried lady. Yeah. Um, and then, so Jacob's in bed, he's very pale, and his demon is a ferret, um, and she's in a similar state, which is sad. Oh, mm, I think, I, think I find it interesting. Um, Lyra looked at his demon, she was a ferret, and she lay very still beside his head, curled up but not asleep, for her eyes were open and glazed like his. They've not said that the ferret looks injured, but she's like feeling his pain, yeah. and he's obviously in a lot of pain, and it's like... I don't want to think... Ferrets are really cute and I don't want to think of a little ferret being all, like, killed up and in pain. Bless her little socks. Oh, God. Um, And then we learn that Benjamin is dead, as Lyra predicted. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that somebody called Jared has been captured Mm -hmm. as well. Oh, and then it says that um, Jacob's demon, he's, like, starts to become too weak to talk. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And his demon licks his face and he takes a bit of strength from that and carries on talking. No. Little ferret kisses. No. God. Um, And then there's an explanation of what they were doing. So they were breaking into the Ministry of Theology um, and Benjamin had heard from one of the gobblers that they caught that the headquarters were there. This made me think of Harry Potter drink when they go into the Department of Mysteries. (laughs) Classic. Yeah. Is that in? It's Order of Phoenix, that is it. 
Because the way that they describe what happens, like with the like weird, it's it kind of describes the when Benjamin dies is like falling from a, a staircase and like them not being able to see anything in the room and it's all dark and weird and mysterious. I was like, that kind of reminded me of the shit that would go on in the Department of Mysteries. Mm, nice. Yeah, so then Jacob, while he's explaining this, he becomes too weak, so his demon speaks for him. And we learn that it's unusual for a mm. demon to speak to other humans other than their own human. But they do yeah. it anyway at this point. So that makes me think that it's obviously not as big as a taboo as touching someone else's demon. Yeah, I think it's just rarer yeah but it's not something you see like super often i wonder if you were in a relationship if maybe your partner's demon would be more likely to talk to you maybe it's just to do with like levels of closeness and familiarity yeah maybe or like family or something yeah yeah that's interesting so yeah his demon does she have a name do we learn her name I don't, I don't think, think we, do. we do. So she tells them about the gobblers that they caught and that they said that they're taking the kids uh, north of Lapland. Not to see Santa. Not to see Santa, unfortunately. <laughs> I was just going to be like, hey, Santa. <laughs> Wave to Santa on the way past. And she keeps stopping to pant because she's all weak. Oh, God. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah, the gobblers told them about the Ministry of Theology. And Lord Boreal, they don't really mention what they, they were told about Lord Boreal, like what about him like was it about his involvement was it about what he was Mm. doing there they just mentioned his name which is interesting because obviously lyra met him a couple of chapters ago at the cocktail party so what's his fucking beef exactly well we don't we don't get to find out no they we just know that they split off it sounds like there's four spies Mm -hmm. and two went to the ministry or whatever it was yes um and the other two went to tail boreal yeah yeah and we haven't heard from boreal's guys Mm -mm. they've gone off the grid Jacob says, or his demon says for him, that um, everything that they did, the other side, so I'm assuming they mean the Magisterium by that, uh, knew about what they were doing before they even did it. Hmm. And then that made me think, on the other side, do they have an alethiometer? Potentially. Like, how how do they know what's happening? If they have somebody that could read the alethiometer, then maybe they're asking it questions. Is that, like, potentially the first hint that we get that they might have that? Yeah, Yeah, maybe. Karam asks about Benjamin... And this is when they, like, describe his death, and it's quite fucking brutal, right? And before that, Jacob's demon gives a little mew of anxiety and love. And the woman took a step or two closer, her hands to her mouth, but she didn't speak. I wonder if she's actually, like, part of his family or something, and she's a family member or a close person that's supposed to be there caring for him, waiting for the doctor, and they've just, like, barged in. Yeah, because it actually doesn't say... It just says woman, right? It doesn't say, like, her relationship to Jacob or anything. It's just like there was a woman there. But from the fact that she's standing there for this whole thing and with her hands yeah. crossed to her face. I see you, woman. I see you. Are you having like a really heart-rending moment with a loved one that's in a lot of pain and two random people have barged in to ask Aww. him about his spy work? Because yeah. I'm sure they have to do that, but they could have been nicer Aww. about it. I-, I forgive you for giving Lyra a day, look. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. I take it back. Oh, God. We learn about Benjamin dying. Mm. It's quite brutal. This is where I think it sounds like the Department of Mysteries in Harry Potter, so I'll just read okay. it. Benjamin and Jared and us went to the Ministry at Whitehall and found a little side door. It not being fiercely guarded and we stayed on watch outside while they unfastened the lock and went in. They hadn't been in but a minute when we heard a cry of fear and Benjamin's demon come a flying out and beckoned to us for help and flew in again and we took our knife and ran in after her. But only the place was dark and full of wild forms and sounds that were confusing in their frightful movements. And we cast about, but there was a commotion above and a fearful cry. 
and Benjamin and his demon fell from a high staircase above us, his demon a tugging and a fluttering to hold him up, but all in vain, for they crashed on the stone floor and both perished in a moment. Ugh, heartbreaking. Yeah. But like the bit about where it says that it was dark and full of wild forms and sounds that were confusing in their frightful movements. It sounds very creepily magical. Like, it doesn't sound like it's a normal space. Yeah, it's an unusual description of, like, if they went in and it was just full of people and there was a kerfuffle yeah. or a brawl, yeah. you would say it was, like, a brawl. But, like, it just sounds very odd Yeah, that that's what's going on. It, yeah, yeah. It, it does make me think of... The description of his demon grabbing onto him and trying to fly oh. upwards to... <sighs> Again, that moment where Spider-Man is trying to catch Gwen right. Stacy when she's falling down the thing. Yeah. It's very much that. It's like a, a very hopeless, like, last-ditch attempt. It's, oh, yeah. Horrible. It um, is. There's interesting descriptions of the way that... Because it's the demon that's talking. Yeah. We get it now and we get a little bit later, but she talks about um, we got our knife. Mm-hmm. And using the kind of like collective thing of like we did this, we did this, we did this. It's not just describing as if it's a group of people because a group of people wouldn't say we got our knife. Yeah. They say we got our knives out. Yeah. But she's viewing the knife that he's holding as hers as well. Yeah. Like we got our knife. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there's a bit later where she mentions our shoulder, and um, it's like <sighs> they sharing everything. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And then it says about Jacob getting pierced with an arrow. Yes, an arrow shot down at our shoulder and pierced deep down with yeah. it. And then, fuck me, that sounds fucking brutal because they say that they can only see, like, the, the An head. inch of yeah. arrow sticking out. Oh, God. Like, just think about, like, not to get too gory, but, like, think about where that would fucking go if it hit you in the shoulder and you can only see, like, yeah. an so inch. So an archery arrow is about the length of your... from your elbow to the tips of your fingers, fuck. approximately. So if it went through your body forwards your body would be taking up like a third of that arrows. It would come out the other end. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's far enough in that it's not come out the other side, that has mm. gone in at a proper diagonal yeah. angle. It's like lungs and your heart are up there. That is, like, that is all the important shit right there. Like, I just, I was thinking, God, he must have been in so much fucking pain. Like, can you imagine? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Jacob. Oh, no, and thank then, you. Yeah, no, God. And then Lyra feels faint, which is fucking fair. Yeah. And there's the, a great gory description of it as yeah with the clotted blood and everything and i was like oh lyra's probably loving this and then it's like no lyra felt faint she felt faint <laughs> yeah so the doctor arrives and then father Coram and lyra leave and um, he tells her that once they find out whether jacob will be okay or not they need to talk about the elysiometer and he like sends her away mm-hmm. um she goes to go and throw mud at the water at least she's not throwing at a fucking animal which is <laughs> usually fucking True. hurting an animal at some point yeah um and then she like realizes that she's not pleased or proud to be able to read the elysiometer yeah. she's afraid interesting and this little discussion that kind of comes from them now discussing what they think runs the elysiometer because yeah. she's like can i trust it is this knowledge a good thing yeah if you just predicted someone's death and then it came true what the fuck would you do yeah like that is a scary position to be in so i'm not surprised and they theorize um lyra theorizes that it's a spirit yeah um but pan says no he would have seen it if it was and talks about a ghost that they saw that she couldn't see that he could do you think maybe because demons are just a bit more magical than people are maybe she says something to him like, you can't see all the spirits. Like, it might be spirits yeah. that you can't see. And also she was like, 
Well, I can, I can see ghosts that you see as well. Like, remember those Oxford scholars that came after us with the heads oh, cut yeah. off? Referencing back to Lyra's Jordan. Yeah. And Pan was like, that was a nightmare. Like, yeah, they were you're night basic. <laughs> you're fucking basic. Yeah, then Pan says it might be elementary particles and she scoffs at him, which surprised me. I looked, because I, I was a bit confused about this, because I, I, so I looked back at, like, some earlier chapters. And Mrs. Coulter called dust elementary particles and Lyra's referred to it as being that. I, so why would she scoff at it, it? Mate, she just she doesn't really know what it is, does she? Like we don't no. really know what it is yet. And so she knows it's a thing that sticks to adults and less to children. She knows that it's a thing that people can study and that glows mm. in certain photos. She doesn't know a whole lot about it and that it's some kind of dangerous taboo. She knows it's an elementary particle. But we get a little bit here where she kind of then goes, actually, it's not that far off because there was something to do with elementary particles that she saw that did make something move Yeah, before, mm-hmm. which we're about to go into the description of, which is I, trying to understand what this machine thing is that she got shown at church is very odd. I read it like three times and I don't think I understand it still. I don't either. It's something that was under a shadow, right? And then the light hits it and it yeah. moves. It's <laughs> that was my object... A photo mill, which makes me think like maybe it's like, you know, you get the, it's like a big black ring and inside there's pictures and there's like a little slot uh, cut all the way yeah. through it and uh, you look through uh, and then the picture moves uh, and it's like a, a light illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rotoscope? No. Don't oh, know. Yeah. Tweet at us. Yeah. Tell us what it is because <laughs> I am not Googling it right now. Um, <laughs> but so, like some kind of like trick of the eye illusion thing. Mm. It sounds like that in terms of, um, they describe it as, it's kept under a velvet cloth. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because that's how the alethiometer is wrapped up yeah. in a black velvet cloth. Yeah. It's like a glass dome, and inside um, there's something too distant to see. He pulls a shutter down, and sunlight strikes through the dome, and then a little thing that looks like a weather vane with sails, four sails, black on one side and white on the other, and that thing then spins because of the light hitting it. Mm. I don't understand that. I don't get it. It's I don't understand how that's... Why is it in a church? It sounds like a fun science experiment yeah. that you would do at school. And they're saying that, that apparently when they're leaving, the librarian tells her that it's the power of photons that's making it move. So it just mm. sounds like a fun little physics experiment, right? basically. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you said, like, either, like, an illusion or, like, something to do with physics rather than something like dust or elementary particles moving yeah. it. But, like, I guess if that's, you know, like, physics and elementary particles, in the universe that's been created here, like, they seem to just, like, mesh physics and religion. And they talk about how the the intercessor kind of explains that there's some kind of, like, moral lesson behind the way this instrument works, and it's the dark fleeing from the light and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't really make much sense as to how that's a religious lesson when it looks like a physics experiment. Yeah. But it's this weird thing of, like, maybe the authorities have realised that, like, there is power in science and there is power in religion, so we're going to control both and intermingle them so that the Mm. lay person can't distinguish between what's science and what's religion. Yeah. So Pan isn't that far off because they've seen an instrument that works like that. Yeah. And it's moving this, like, weather vane thing around. And so, like, why couldn't it move a little needle around? That somehow, even though she scoffed the suggestion, somehow that still troubles Lyra. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's why she scoffed then? Do you think she it was, like, a bit of a defence mechanism? Because it's something that troubles her. Yeah, and then I think she just doesn't really know what to make of it as well. Yeah. Like, if it was a spirit, 
she's like, oh, then it has motivations. It has like mm-hmm. a thought process. Whereas if it's just like particles, she doesn't know what particles want. Yeah. Like you can't, I mean, can you ask particles a question? I don't know. <laughs> That's what we're finding out. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think it kind of, throws her off her game because she knows how to deal with people and she's like "Mm, what's going on with particles yeah exactly yeah and then as they're having this conversation tony costa calls over and says that she needs to go and see john far Mm -hmm. immediately it's urgent run and so she runs over to hammer man (laughs) fucking hell thank god he doesn't mention his fucking hammer again can't read a john far paragraph anymore without thinking about that bloody hammer paragraph god so, anyway. Well, thankfully, he's not. We don't see that much of him. No. Um, but he tells her that Jacob has died. No, oh, no. Jacob. And that they're they're going to take Lyra with them north after all, uh, because her reading of the elysiometer obviously predicted death, and it's happened. Yeah. So they're basically saying to her, "Well, actually, you're probably going to be useful to us now." Which is the reason why they're taking her. They're going. They're going to go as soon as Jacob has been buried. Ugh, I know. And he tells her not to celebrate it because it's a mission and it's going to be dangerous so she shouldn't be, like, excited. And also her man's just died. Like, yeah. don't run around being excited that you're going on the trip because the reason you're going is that you predicted this man's death. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Father Karen will look after her. Um, he asks her to tell Mark Oster uh, and be ready to leave whenever. He says, I'm putting you under Father Karen's wing. Mm. Oh, a good place to be, yeah, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the next two weeks, they pass busily for Lyra, but also quite it's quite boring, quite tedious waiting yeah. to go. And uh, she still has to hide, and she's not allowed out of the boat at all, which is obviously annoying for her. Does your book... I, oh. I don't know if I've got like a typo or if it's a description that is just a word I don't get. So she's there for tedious stretches waiting, hiding in tiny, damp, crabbed closets... Or is it crabbed or cramped? No, mine says crabbed. What does crabbed mean? I don't know. That's does it smell crabby? Because it. it's on the sea. Try Google it. Yes. So crabbed. It says of handwriting, very small and difficult to decipher. Or the second meaning is bad tempered. Oh. So maybe it just means small then, if it's referring yeah. to like small handwriting. Maybe. Odd. Yeah. An odd, odd word. Yeah. Word corner. There we go. <laughs> So, yeah, she's hiding. Um, I don't like the description of the fact that she's sleeping near the gas fumes of the engine and she wakes up with a sick headache. And worst of all, she's not even allowed to go outside into the air. Like, imagine waking up being like, I've got a headache from being cramped indoors in fumes. And then you can't even go and get a breath of fresh air to try and clear your head. Sounds fucking horrible. It sounds like it'd make me feel sick. Like... Sick, sick. Mm-hmm. Gross. No, thank you. Poor Lyra. Poor yeah. Lyra. Tony Costa tells her all the like pub gossip that's happening um, and that there's a big reward for her and severe punishment for anyone concealing her. And then it, they kind of list all the strange rumours about her. So They're so weird. They are weird. So strange rumours. People said she was the only child to have escaped from the gobblers. She had terrible secrets in her possession. Another rumour said she wasn't a child at all, but a pair of spirits in the form of a child and demon sent to this world by the infernal powers in order to work great ruin. And another rumour said it was no child, but a fully grown human, shrunk by magic and in the pay of the Tartars to come and spy on good English people and prepare the way for a Tartar invasion. Calm down, People everyone. need to, like, yeah, take a break, take a breath. 
<laughs> waiting. Who are these like adult humans just what? making up these terrible rumors? Yeah, like what I know about this world so far is everybody bloody loves gossip and stories. Yeah. Like so much. There has been so much gossip in these nine chapters. It's, yeah, <laughs> everybody loves gossip in these books. It's ridiculous. God, yeah, and Lyra loves her rumours at first, but then she starts feeling a bit down about them. Yeah, well, like, here's all these rumours about all this stuff that they say you are, but you're not, and it's all the reasons you can't go outside. Yeah. Stay inside. Yeah. Well, Poor Lyra. Yeah, she feels trapped, and she wants to be north, or even back at Jordan with Roger. Well, yeah. She wishes that, like, nothing had changed, and that she could be Lyra of Jordan College forever. Oh, Lyra. No. I get that feeling where you're just like, I think I felt it halfway through Saturday. Where I was like, why did we even decide to move house? Why are we doing <laughs> Can we not this? Stay here forever. Like, oh, what an adventure. It's not an adventure. It's just hard work and like annoying. <laughs> like, can't oh. I just pretend like I never wanted to leave the flat and stay living where it's too small for me forever? Yeah. It's just nostalgia. She just wants to go back to when it was easy. Yeah. I appreciate that, Lyra. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Um, and the Alethea helps her, uh, st- helps stop her boredom. She reads it every day. And she's learning to sink into that calm state to read it uh, more and more. And that's where the symbols, like, clarify themselves to her. Mm. And then she does, she has a good explanation of how it feels, because Spartacorum asks her what it feels like to read it. And she says, it's almost like talking to someone, only you can't quite hear them, and you kind of feel stupid because they're cleverer than you. Only they don't get cross or anything, and they know such a lot for decorum, as if they knew everything almost. Mrs. Coulter was clever, she knew ever such a lot, but this is a different kind of knowing. It's like understanding, I suppose. It kind of sounds like there's some like superior being or voice or presence. Mm. It's interesting it. that what's driven her to get more into the alethiometer is the boredom of being cooped up, considering she was unsure of how she felt about it a few pages ago. Yeah. But I suppose you would do that if you were so bored, right? Yeah. It's the only thing, really, that she's got to like entertain herself when she's like in a tiny crabbed closet. Yeah. I think, you know, if she didn't have this time, maybe she wouldn't ever get quite so good at it. Yeah. Like, yeah, she seems to be learning to read it. Maybe being cramped is kind of the only way that she's kind of getting forced to do her homework, almost. Yeah. But, like, not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the description of it is being someone that's cleverer than you, and they're saying something, but you can't quite hear them. And you feel stupid. That's me every day. <laughs> you know, it's always says something, you can't quite hear them. You're like, I'm sorry. And they repeat it. And you're like, I'm sorry. And they repeat it. And you're like, I can't ask them again. I'm just going to have to pretend that I heard what they like, said. I'm just yeah. going to nod. Nod and be like, yes. And they're like, it wasn't a question. I'll be like, okay, cool. Um, and he asks her what Mrs. Coulter is doing now. And asks her to explain what she's doing as she's mm. doing it. And I think she describes it as being on a ladder and like, feeling for the next like rung down on the ladder but she's doing that with her brain instead so like she's reaching down not knowing that anything's going to be there and then she grasps onto the meaning yeah kind of yeah feels it somehow which is interesting because it's as far as we know everyone else needs books to find these things but she seems to just be like working it out through this like constant practice yeah and, you know what's interesting yeah. about this as well is that obviously we get the sense from Fardacorum and John Far that Lyra being able to read the alethiometer is important but nobody seems shocked that she doesn't need the books yeah and I don't know if it's because they specifically have decided to hide that surprise from her or maybe if she got told everyone that's ever read this is needed books she'd like lose her confidence 
Or maybe she'd go the opposite way and be like, yeah, I'm so confident. I can read this without the books and then yeah. make mistakes. True. Which I feel is more the way that Lyra would probably go. That's true. That would be more our Lyra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. She says that there's a trick in it, like focusing your eyes. And I immediately thought of magic eye puzzles. Oh, yeah, God, I was... Yeah, you got to try and, like, cross and halfway and cross your eyes. I was fucking terrible at those. You I do. I could never get them to work. I, I usually... My friends would be like, can you see the Statue of Liberty? Or whatever it was on the one that was in our school. And I'd be like, no. Nope, can't see anything. It's just squiggles. Sorry. <laughs> I used to really hurt my eyes trying to do it as well. Yeah. I feel like that's probably why a lot of people wear glasses now. <laughs> You probably messed up your eyes looking at too many magic eye puzzles. Fucked up and like by a magic messing eye up puzzle. your focus. <laughs> Maybe. If you if your life's been ruined by magic eye puzzles, ride in. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and she searches for the answer for what Mrs. Coulter's doing now. And it says that she felt grace and power like a young bird learning to fly. Oh. Yeah. Father Coram's watching her and like notes her movements and stuff and he is a chess player and compares her to a chess player as well. He's saying that her eyes moved the same way that like she could see some kind of like mag- magnetic field to focus on that he couldn't see, but he could see her eyes moving in a way that he recognized. Yeah, so she's not necessarily always looking at where the needle's pointing, but at different spots that there must be some logic behind it. Yeah. And he can tell that there's logic there, but he cannot decipher what that logic is yeah exactly so the needle stopped on certain symbols it says the needle stopped at the thunderbolt the infant the serpent the elephant and a creature that lyra couldn't find a name for a sort of lizard with big eyes and a tail curled around the twig it stood on i don't know when you if you when you read that i was like it's chameleon immediately yes i was like the tail curled around it twig or whatever i was like that's a chameleon yeah i think if that wasn't there you'd be like what kind of lizard yeah yeah and it like keeps repeating that sequence mm. um and then like father Karam asks her what the lizard means and he like breaks her concentration and she's like well i would fucking know if you didn't fucking interrupt <laughs> right <me." laughs> she proper sasses him she's just like i was getting the meaning for the lizard thing but then you talked to me father Karam, and i lost it see it's just floating old anywhere now <laughs> Absolute fucking soft spot. Well, I was reading it. <laughs> and then you interrupted. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a fucking lot. Uh, and he's like, yep, yeah, see that. Sorry, Lyra. <laughs> Are you tired now? Do you want to stop? <laughs> I've angered the girl. Oh, oh, Wait, yeah, God. And it does say that she seems like fretfully overexcited. And then this is when she asks to go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that they'll be getting to the port soon anyway. But he sees how flustered and tired she is and decides to... I think she's out. got that like f- cabin fever kind yeah. of vibe rolling off her of like I've just been indoors too long and I've yeah. got a bit wild behind the eyes like yeah definitely yeah. so he lets her out and Pan becomes a seagull and flies around outside which is cute yeah um, and Lyra can feel him flying and it makes her like excited as well which I thought was cool and she like mentally eggs him on to fucking torment the Tillerman's demon yeah which is a cormorant do you want to see a picture of a cormorant? Yeah, I did Google it because I didn't know what it was. Yeah. It's like an aquatic bird, it right? It is. They're really pretty. They're like, they've got lovely, like, black heads and beaks. And, like, some of them have really pretty orange Aww. at the ends of their beaks. Oh, guys, Google. A very, very nice Google bird. cormorant. I might try and draw her. Ooh. I don't know. Then we'll you see. need to Google. We'll see. Yeah. Um, And Sorry. I had to Google what a Tillerman was because I didn't know what that was. Did I you? think he's the guy. Does he just... Yeah, I think thing. so. But you know, when I Googled it, it didn't come up. Oh. And it came up with, I think you're right, because it came up, for some reason, the top, like, entry was somebody who steers the rear wheels of a fire truck. 
All right. I feel like it's more of a boat reference than a ride. Who knows? I mean, I completely agree with you. It's just got to be the person that steers the boat, Mm. right? I I feel like there's your boat might have like a little motor or whatever, but there's the little paddle thing at the back that you turn left or right to make the boat veer one way or another. And I thought that was the tiller. I think it is. So I'm Rosie and Jim. The tillerman is the guy that stands at the back. (laughs) British TV kids. So they're like, why didn't it come up when I googled it? That's so weird, right? Rosie and Jim is fucking terrifying. It is. It really is. Moving on from that horror. But yeah, no, he's the guy that stands at the back and moves the thingy. Yeah, Pan, like, she eggs Pan on to, like, torment the poor comet demon. <laughs> she just keeps her eyes closed and she's like, nope, not today. Yeah, she's like, no fucking way. <laughs> Says that there's, like, where they were on the, like, canal or river or whatever they're on at that time. There's, like, nothing there. It um, sounds really bleak. Yeah. It says that, like, Pan's the only thing that has any life and joy where they are. Yeah. There's a description earlier of just everything being brown and grey and sludgy. And the same thing's described again here as just, like, heavy clouds hung without offering rain and the air beneath was grimy with smoke. And, like, it sounds like they're just, like, a shitty bit of industrial kind of area where it's just, there's nothing. Yeah. It's grim. And then something hits Pan. Yeah. And he falls sideways and Lyra like feels the pain as well. Um, and then, a, so it's like a little black thing and then another little black thing comes and they look like flying beetles and they make like a droning sound. Pan is falling and Lyra's trying to catch him in her arms and the like beetle things keep like fucking driving into him, which sounds fucking horribly painful. Yeah. Droning, buzzing and murderous. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. And then uh, the cormorant comes to the rescue um, and attacks them. And one of them falls at Lyra's feet and then just as like Pan lands in her arms. And I like this bit because it says that he lands in her arms and then immediately changes into a wildcat. Wildcat Pan! Yeah. And like bats the little thing away from the edge because it was going to escape. Yeah. Then like holds it down with his paws and I thought that sounded really cute. Little (laughs) paws like holding it down. He, they are called, they are described as needle-filled paws, so I think he's got sharp little claws. like... Yeah, but still cute, though. Okay. <laughs> still like it. Yeah, the Tillerman says that the other one's gone, so... Right, well. Escaped. Um, and then gives Lyra uh, his, like, mocha to trap, the one that Pan's yeah, holding in. Yeah, he sloshes the Boom. rest of his coffee yeah. out of the mug, and he's like, here, girl, and chucks it to yeah. her. I like it. And then Father Corum comes and tells her to hold it still and bring it back into the boat. And then, like, she tries to thank the comrade and... She's, she's just got, got her eyes closed. Yeah. She don't care. She thanks the Tillerman and he just tells her that she shouldn't come outside. It's so grumpy. So gruff. Yeah, he ain't got time for her shit. But also, have more time for people's shit, please. Yeah, I was a bit, like... I, I thought that was really rude. And Yeah. They put the little thing into a beer glass. And then I put a sticker on the description of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about as long as Lyra's thumb and dark green, not black. Its wing cases were erect like a ladybird's about to fly, and the wings inside were beating so furiously that they were only a blur. Its six-clawed legs were scrabbling on the smooth glass. Ew, sounds horrible. It sounds really gross. Yeah, it does. Father Coram says that it isn't a living thing, it's clockwork. And it's an Afric. Is that the name of it? Is that the name of it? I think that's, again, it's him. It's Pullman's way of, like, changing the name of a region to sound slightly more So is he saying they're from Africa? Yeah. But we don't learn what the name of these things are then, right? No, I think he's just saying it's a, yeah, it's, it's a thing the, I've seen in Africa. In the TV show, they call them spy flies. They do. Because I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, I don't remember them being called that in the book, because I think I would have been like, well, because it rhymes. 
Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a name that kind of sticks in your head. And not a very creative name either, I don't think. No. Um, yeah, he says he's seen them in Africa, and then he talks about how it was in Morocco where he last saw one. So it's obviously, yeah, it's, I think he's just describing the region that yeah. he so thinks they, they're from. They don't necessarily have names mm. in, in the book. And they say that like, it's a mechanical thing, but it's got it's got like a bad spirit in it with a spell through its heart. Yeah, like keeping the clockwork wound. Yeah. Creepy. Mm. But it kind of lends credence to the idea that Lyra had that maybe the alethiometer is being powered by a spirit. Because yeah. knowing about these beetles confirms that in this world, it's a thing to be able to pin a spirit into a machine, Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's true. So it's yeah. not... She wasn't that far off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then... I think it's pretty obvious Mrs. Coulter sent it. Yeah, they theorise that, yeah, it makes sense because, like, she can't have just travelled north. She must have travelled to other reaches yeah. of the world and it makes sense she could have picked up these things there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then Fornicorum says, like, they're deadly dangerous. It won't stop while the spirit is in it, but if you let the spirit out of it, then it'll kill the first person that it comes across. Uh-oh. So basically they've got no choice, really, than just to keep it. Just hang on to it. Yeah. Yeah. Lyra then realises that the lizard symbol means air and it's a chameleon because they don't eat or drink. They live on air. I think Fornicorum taught it. It's not true. I was going to Google it and I forgot. Shall right. I do it now? Yeah. Okay. Chameleons do not live on air. Oh. Uh, for centuries, there was a myth that chameleons could live on air alone. And this was supposedly because people so rarely saw them eat. To test the theory, chameleons were put in cages without food. Needless to say, the experiment didn't go well for the chameleons. Sad times, this is on like a BBC Natural Histories thing. But also, (laughs) the description at the beginning is great. There's a story that the chameleon looks so bizarre because it was made by the devil from spare parts. It's said (laughs) to have the tail of a monkey, the skin of a crocodile, the tongue of a toad, the horns of a rhinoceros, and the eyes of a who knows what. Oh, poor little chameleon. chameleons. Okay, then, so in this world, then, in Lyra's world, they don't eat. And it's probably taken from that myth. Either that or the alethiometer symbol is just that because of the myth. Because of the myth. Yeah, but Fornicorum says it as if it's true. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, what a weird little fact for Pullman to be like, sure, I'll make make the chameleon sign for air instead of like, I don't know, what would you use for air? Wind. Probably not a lizard. Like... (laughs) It's a very, wind. It's a very convoluted way of making it air, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, then, obviously, the elephant means Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they're just a bit in awe of at the Elysiometer's power. Yeah, because it basically tried to warn them about the spy fly. Yeah. Because also, what's Mrs. Coulter doing right now? Well, her main scheme that's relevant to you is that she's sent these bugs after you. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they shut it in a box and they'll have to make sure it never gets out, basically, like we just said. And he said they can't even put it in the sea, because, like, throw the box into the sea because it'll rust. And when it rusts, the bug will come after. No, like, however long that yeah. takes, it'll still come after yeah. her. Which is like, ooh. So I wonder if we're going to hear any, any more about this little box. Little dude. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Rich just gave me a look. <laughs> <laughs> he puts it in a, in a smoke leaf tin. Yeah. I like the image of it being like a branded tin mm. that's just been like, like sealed really it. tight and it's going <laughs> along the table. <laughs> and yeah, he is, he says he's gonna, they'll need to solder it shut. Yeah. And he's worried about the other one because obviously that got away and it's probably, it's going to be on its way back to Mrs. Coulter to say that it's seen Lyra. Mm. Um, and he blames himself and I put, no, dad, 
Don't blame yourself. Aww. Lyra asks um, if clockwork runs down and he says, yes, but this one stays wound by the spirit attached to it and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger rather than wearing down. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why isn't everything just powered by that? Yeah, right? right? It sounds like an amazing source of energy. Yeah. I mean, an ethical, but amazing source of energy. Truly. Yeah. And then he puts it away under his bunk um, and then the boat reaches Colby, which is the little town and they It tie sounds up. fishy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's a very fishy yeah. description of this town. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I read you the description of how fishy it sounds? Yeah. The heavy air was thickening into mist by the time they tied up at the wharves alongside the smoke market and everything in sight was softened and blurred. The darkness shaded into pearly silver grey veils and laid over the warehouses and cranes, the wooden market stalls and the granite many chimney building that the market was named after. Where day and night fish hung kippering, I love the word kippering, (laughs) in fragrant oak wood smoke, the chimneys were contributing their thickness to the clammy air and the pleasant reek of smoked herring and mackerel and haddock seem to breathe out of the very cobbles. I don't think that there's such thing as a pleasant reek. Thank you very much, Philip. Well, you say that, but I really like the smell of, like, fish markets and stuff. Don't give me that look. I'm, I'm judging. I'm judging real hard right now. I really there's like no that such smell. thing as a pleasant reek of fish. I mean, not worded like that, no. <laughs> You ever walk in somewhere and you go, oh, it smells fishy. I like it. Yes. That's me in fish markets. I like it. I do like it. This week's boat, fishy smells, (laughs) yes or no. (laughs) That's not fair. You know that people are going to say no. Whatever, do it. I don't care. Whatever. Fuck's sake. Nuva is fair weirdo for liking the smell of a fish market. (laughs) Yes, probably. Probably. Mm. Strange. God. All right. So, moving on. Okay. <laughs> Lyra wears a coat to hide her hair and walks with Father Coram and the Tillerman, and all three of their demons are like really alert and watching out for anyone. But no one's there. Everyone's just chilling at home. Mm. Uh, and then they see Tony Costa at the docks, um, and he's relieved to see them. He, he said that Jack Verhoeven? Yeah. Verhoeven has been shot. And his boat's been sunk. And I was like, who's that? We've not... Have we heard his name before? I don't think so. I think it's just a general thing of like... Somebody's We're still in a hurry and we're still in peril. Like, just a little reminder. A little nudge. Yeah. And then like, John falls on the boat, ready to go. And Lyra looks at the boat and it's massive. Um, And then says... It says a bunch of stuff about boats that I just don't understand at all. Like, in that little paragraph, there's so many words I didn't understand. Yeah, I googled some of the boat words, but I did not bother with all of them. To be honest, I really, like, I read the chapter twice, but I really fucking skimmed through that paragraph, because I was like, boat stuff. Just boat stuff. I'm sorry, if you're really into boats, we don't know any of the stuff. Yeah, just boat stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And then she heads on to the boat. Oh, the one one thing that stuck out to me was the, the stout Derek. Because <laughs> it's such a funny name. And I googled what the Derek is. It's like a weird, like, it looks like a telephone mast. Huh. Almost. What's it do? Boat it stuff. helps you, like, lift stuff. It's like a mini crane oh, that goes okay. on a boat. A but they keep talking about the Derek, and I find it really funny. It talks about how Pan turns into a monkey and climbs the Derek. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, a, a man called Derek <laughs> just stood there, like, hello, I come and stand at issue with every boat. <laughs> just, like, Pan climbing him, like, can you get off me, please? Can you please remove your monkey? <laughs> yeah, just who's Derek? 
Why? Do, why? Poor Derek. <laughs> Who's Derek? What's a Derek? Fucking hell. Uh, so she heads onto the boat. Uh, and yes, like you said, Pan's a monkey. He climbs the Derek. Climbs the Derek. <laughs> and then she tells him to come back because Father Karen wants him below deck. She, you get the impression that she's taking delight in feeling really nautical. Yeah. Because it talks about how they want him, uh, asked her to go indoors or below, as you called it, on board a ship. And then there's something else later where she's like, this or this, if you are a shiply worded person. (laughs) Like Like, I am now. Yeah. She's like, I know boat words. (laughs) I'm sorry, Lyra. We do not know boat words. God, we do not. We are so sorry. Um, Yeah. And she goes down below deck, see John Farr. And he mentions a dead man. And that his boy has been captured, and I assume that means his son, I would have thought. Yeah. His boy. Father Coram tells John Farr about the spy fly and shows him the tin. Uh, and then John Farr's never seen one, but he gives another description of it, which I'm just going to read. So he says, I've heard of them clockwork devils, but never seen one. There are no way of taming it and turning it back, I know that much. Nor is it any use weighing it down with lead and dropping it in the ocean, because one day it'd rust through and out the devil would come and make for the child wherever she was. No, we'll have to keep it by and exercise our vigilance. And that's what you were talking about oh, earlier. Oh, yeah. I didn't realise it was this far ahead. You skipped. I'm sorry. It's fine. I was too eager. Um, and then there's some fucking bullshit here. Right? Yeah. Fucking just peppers it in. Just really casual. Yeah. That Thanks, Philip. John Farr decided not to take women on the trip. After much thought. Good, cool. Glad to know you thought Great. about it. I mean, is that the patriarchy that I can hear? I think I can hear it calling. Fucking hell. What was the reason? What? This is... What? It's bullshit. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, literally no point. So two people made perfectly good arguments as to why women should be allowed to go. Or, like, one person made three good arguments. There were good arguments made. There were good arguments And he just went, oh, well, I thought about it. But no. I had a little think. Oh, did you? Did you have a little think with all those other fucking men that you sit with on your fucking table? Oh, great. I'm sure they all had great insight as to why women should not be allowed. Yeah. Cool. Great. Okay. Next. But you know what? Lyra benefits ever so slightly from this shitty patriarchal moment because it does mean she gets a room to herself. She does, but it's pretty small. It is. Would you go as far as to say that Lyra's room is crabbed? <laughs> I would. I would. I very much would. <laughs> so she, like, puts all the shit away. She runs up to watch England vanish behind her. With a bunk and a scuttle, which is the proper name for a porthole. Oh! Lyra with your boat talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um. God. So, yeah, she wants to watch England vanish behind her, but it's too uh, misty. And she's very excited by all the new smells, sights and sounds. And she, oh, and then we learn that she skips dinner because Pan's feeling a bit sick. And oh, is uh, Pan feeling a bit sick, Lyra? Ooh. Is he or are you seasick? <laughs> I mean, it says ill at ease, but I'm assuming that means seasick. She's skipping dinner, so... <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And then that's the end of the chapter and part one. And so began her journey north. I completely Ooh. forgot that it was split into different parts. parts right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, part two. Yeah, on the audiobooks, it's like... That was the end of part one. In part two, Lyra will do this, 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 and this. And it's almost like, tune back in next week, folks. But I I obviously won't read it because that will be spoilery. But like, it's yeah, it's interesting. The next part is called Bolvanga. What's the next chapter called? The Consul and the Bear. Oh my god. Oh my god. Want to find out why we're so excited about the Consul and the Bear? Tune in in two weeks' time. (laughs) Wow. Well done. I'm so good at this. You are, truly. (laughs)
Do you have an award? I'm giving my award this week to the really chill slash aloof Cormorant Demon. Oh, amazing. Yeah. She's a babe. Yeah. She rescues Pan. Like, okay, he's a bit gruff and annoying, but I get the impression that she's really cool and chill. Yeah, I think so. So yeah. Not to the Tillerman, but to to, the, to his demon, the Cormorant Demon. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm giving mine to the dad that Lyra deserves, Fardacorum. Aww. This is a good Fardacorum chapter. Yeah, and I love him. And I don't remember loving him as much, like, in, the, in my first read, but I feel like... Not that I ever disliked him, yeah. but I feel like in this read I've really, like, latched onto him as a father figure for Lyra. Aww. And I think he deserves the dad award. Oh, <laughs> best dad. Your best dad mug is in the uh, post for Hardcorum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you would love that, I think. You would. Oh. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. And we bloody love an email. We fucking do. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, although I haven't posted in a while, I'm on medium at faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and on my online shop rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and for help with navigating the scary tech stuff. We'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs>